You know, my message today is understanding the difference of grace. And, you know, I've seen people, that man standing right there just to sit down. Jimmy's buried his son. He knows what it's like. You know, I've had so many parents tell me, they said, this ain't supposed to happen. The children's supposed to bury the, the parents, you know, and, and to walk through that. But God brought you through it, didn't he, Jimmy? And so many, even in here and listening to me, we face things and done. But God's there. God's with us. God's for us. And God's not guilty of all the things that religion accuses him. See, when man don't have an answer theologically for something, they just make up stuff. Like, well, God picked a flower from the bouquet table. You know, he needed a flower. At the, I've sat in funerals, and the bad thing about me as a preacher, I have to go help preach funerals with other preachers that don't have a clue about God's grace. And they're just repeating things that they've raised, been raised around, and they're not doing it maliciously, but they're doing it ignorantly, like I used to do. But man, if you've ever sat and had to pastor a deal with parents that have lost a three-year-old or four-year-old, little five-year-old little kid, and you get some preacher to stand in front of a little casket and say, God needed them in heaven. Man, if I thought God took my kid like that, give me a kid for three years and then took it, I'd drop my Bible in the trash can on the way out. And I'd never call on his name again. Because that's sadistic. That's sick. God don't do that. Somebody says, you know, that well, when you die, it's just your time to go. That's not in the Bible. You decide your time to go in most instances. Listen, if I jump out there off the curb in front of this church on that four-lane highway right in front of a semi, and it kills me, there'd be some preacher to help preach my funeral said somehow, God, that was in his plan. They'd say, the Lord don't make a mistake. No, I, the Lord don't make a mistake, but I did. I jumped in front of a semi. Does that mean it was my time to go? No. You understand you're free moral agents. You can choose. You can decide. You know, God's not in control. He's not, and that's why I wrote that in the first chapter of my book. God is not in control. God is in charge. But God's not in control of what happens in this earth. Who is? You and I. Decisions. We make them. It actually says in the New Testament that we understand that the enemy is in control. The prince and the power of the air trying to deceive, steal, and kill. Don't ever get confused on who's doing what. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anything that steals, kills, or destroys, that's not from God. 15, 20 years ago, I preached a message called God Good, Devil Bad. Preached it a few times, preached it here. That little simple theology will straighten out a whole lot of wrong thoughts. I used to blame God for a lot of stuff that I didn't like happening in my life. Or I would say, why didn't why'd you let this happen? Why did you allow this? Listen, if you ask a wrong question, you're going to get a wrong answer, not from God, because he won't answer wrong questions. I know probably some of you get sick of hearing it. I don't know of a better example, but if I walk up to a husband and say, have you stopped beating your wife yet? I want to ask you a question. Have you stopped beating your wife yet? That's, then if he says yes, that means he used to beat her, right? Or if he says no, let's call the police and get him locked up, because he's still beating on her. 
but the man is not the problem, right? The question was the problem. And when you say, you, God, why did you allow this? You're, you're, you're charging, convicting, judging God with your accusational question. And we just, we, we're, we're so finite and we, we, God's, not, God's plan for you is to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. That's what the Bible says. That's God's plan for you. God's plan for you is to live long ages, to be an old man and woman of God, and to see your generations come behind you. That's what the Bible says. But that's not what people say at funerals. So you just have to, that's one of the hardest things I ever have to be involved in. It's when people don't understand the grace difference. It was like this, and somebody, I was looking at it yesterday. Y'all remember, anybody old enough to remember those, uh, they called them magic 3D pictures or images, and it looks like just a bunch of varied colors. And then you, I remember when the 80s, when them things first came out, you had people be in Walmart, stuff like that, where they had them displayed, people be standing there staring at them. Because if you stare at them properly and look at them long enough, you'll get a 3D image. All of a sudden, you're looking at a bunch of colors, and then there's a shark. 3D shark will appear, or a pirate ship, I remember in one. And so yesterday, I even looked on my phone to see if it would work in something that small, because the bigger, the better on that deal, how it works. And so I was staring at this image, you know, and looking at it and focusing and trying to remember how to make the 3D image come forth. And all of a sudden, this, this picture that looks like just random colors, it says, it said, uh, I heart love you. That's what, that's what the message was in the picture. But it took me a while to get it, to see it. I remember I, yesterday I called even my grandson over there. I called Aiden over there and tried to get him to see it. And I said, he said, well, I can't see it, Poppy. And I said, well, we'll stare at it, you know. And he, and he was getting frustrated. He said, I still can't see it. I said, don't look at the picture. Look through the picture. And I'm not making that stuff up. Don't Google it while I'm preaching, okay. But if you can Google how to see an image like that, and it'll tell you till you get close as you can to the, to the image, and you try to look through it, not to it, not at it, look through it, and then when you, your eyes will begin to adjust and you'll see the image begin to change. And when it does that, just pull your head back just a little bit and boom, there it is. You, y'all all going to be doing this this afternoon, I can tell. <laughs> On your iPhones, you'll make yourself dizzy trying to see these images. But you can do it. It's cool. What are you talking about that? That's kind of the way it was with me and the grace message. Even though I was looking at the Bible, looking at it, you know, like I was telling my grandson yesterday, he was trying to see it. I said, you're trying too hard. You're trying too hard. Just relax your eyes. And, 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 and that's, that's kind of the way it is with the grace of God. We're, we're looking at the Bible instead of through the Bible to the one the Bible's pointing to. We don't study the Bible to know the Bible. We study the Bible to know the author of the Bible, which is, the, is, the, is Jesus, the Word. The, the Word points us to the Word. Are you with me? The living Word of God the word, is, is Jesus. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was made flesh and tabernacle, dwelt among us. And that's Jesus. And so, you know, it's like somebody, you know, asked me, well, what's the difference in, you know, like the grace message? They say you're a grace preacher or you're a grace point church. I mean, what's the difference in your church and my church? I don't know. I've never been to your church. But, but there's a difference in, the most of, uh, in, in most of the, what most of us grew up hearing. And, and most of my preaching is just to help us to see God in the, in the way the Bible describes him, not the way religion has painted him. And it's like, how well did I understand grace before I understood grace? Uh, grace 
and you've heard me say this many times, hundreds of times, probably grace is not a teaching, it's not a doctrine, it's not a movement, it's not a subject that we study every now and then. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And uh, to understand the grace of God is essential that we understand the difference between the old covenant law and the new covenant of grace. And uh, John 1 and 17 tells us that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, the law was given through a servant. In the Bible, even God called Moses his servant. But God don't want a servant relationship with you today. He wants a son or a daughter relationship with you today. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus said, but I call you friends. God wants a, a, a father-son relationship, father-daughter relationship with you. But the law was given through a servant, but grace and truth was came, it says, through the Son, the Son of God. And so the Bible is made up roughly, and I won't say it like that for a reason, but listen to me, the Bible is made up roughly of two big documents, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, you've heard me say this before, and this is a revelation to a lot of people because if you don't understand this, when you read the Bible, you're going to get thoroughly confused. Um, you'll hear preachers make this statement, well, stay close to the words in red, Brother Dale. If you'll just do everything that's in red that Jesus said, you'll be all right. No, you won't because you won't have any hands because the Bible says if your right hand offends you, cut it off. That's what Jesus said in red. Now, which ones in red you going to do? You going to do just the ones you pick out that you like, or are you going to do all of them? See, what we don't understand is the New Testament does not begin, the New Covenant did not begin and does not begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Right? So when did the New Covenant begin? At the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when the New Covenant goes into force, goes into action. So it doesn't begin Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus, when he started in Matthew 5 preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said some wild stuff to those people. You know what he said? The last verse he said in Matthew 5, be ye perfect. Did Jesus say that or not? He said, be ye perfect. And then he defined perfection. As perfect as my Father is. Now, do you know that's a requirement for heaven? You must be perfect. God don't grade on a curve, and a 70 ain't passing. Good morning. We're glad you're here. Do you understand that an 80 is not passing with God? Do you understand that a 99.9 .9 is not passing with God? God requires one thing, and that's perfection. You hear that? Well, you come to our church. We're a church of not a perfect people. No, you're not perfect in how you behave and conduct and, and display, but you are per perfect if you've been born again in your spirit. That's where you were born again. You weren't born again physically. You were born again in your spirit. And your spirit was made perfect and complete and holy and righteous by birth. And it was a gift. And it's not anything you achieved, but it's something you received by faith. See, that's the big difference. And so the Bible says in Hebrews, clearly, said he has perfected forever them that are in Christ Jesus. He has perfected us forever. He, he, he has done that. Because it said it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could, could make the offerer there, therefore perfect. In other words, God's desire has always been that we be perfect. It wasn't the old you getting a paint job. I'm sorry. You know, no, it's perfection. It's, God says your old you is so messed up, we're going to have to kill you off on the cross. And I'm going to 
create a whole new creation. You understand you're a new creation in Christ Jesus when you're born again. You're not the old you with a paint job. Okay? <clears throat> so, how are you going to achieve that? You, you don't achieve it, you receive it. And to be made perfect, you have to have a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. And His perfection was attributed and gifted to you and I, and that's called grace. Amen? You, 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 you are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You think God would take something imperfect and stick it in a perfect, his perfect son? No. You think God would take something filthy and rotten and vile and contemptible and stick it in his holy, righteous, pure son? No. You're in Christ so he could treat you like Christ. And so the old covenant, just like the new covenant, doesn't begin in Matthew 1. And, and, and this is saying, i got to get off of this, but when Jesus was saying all those things, be perfect, all, all, these, all these things that he told them, that these rules and regulations, and, and for three chapters, basically, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that was his inaugural sermon. Jesus was the best law preacher there ever has been. He handled people with grace, but he preached the law to those who were under the law because they had watered down the law. They had watered it down to make it palatable to them. And Jesus said, now, Jesus said this, listen to me, y'all. Jesus said, now you have heard it say, said, that thou shalt not commit adultery. In other words, they said, if they hadn't actually committed adultery, then they were not an adulterer. Jesus said, well, I say to you, this is what law says, if you've ever looked at a woman and lusted, you're an adulterer. You know what that did? That made every person there an adulterer. Every person just became an adulterer. Jesus said, you also have heard it said, thou shalt not uh, hate. Murder. Murder. You shall not murder. I never killed nobody. I ain't all that bad. I pay my bills. I treat folk good. I'm not, you know. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to hell because you're bad. <laughs> they didn't get it, did they? You, good people don't go to heaven. I don't care what the preacher says at the funeral. Well, they're a good person. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong in highlighting people's benevolence and, 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 and generosity and, and, and good life. There's nothing wrong with that at a funeral. Nothing wrong at all. But don't say that's why the dude is in heaven. That's, that's blasphemous. There's the, why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. Bad things don't happen to good people because there's no good people. <laughs> I got some a lot. I got a lot better notes up here if I just stick with them. But there's no good people, and that's not my opinion. That's the Bible. The Bible says this: there is none good, no, not one. How you like them eggs? So knock it off. We're none of us is good. None of us. There's none good, no, not one. Not man, but God's good all the time. So, just like the New Testament, Jesus was preaching the law and he was elevating the law back to the real standard of the law. And you know what the law is meant to do? The law is meant to kill you. The letter killeth. 
The law is to make you good and dead so you realize you need a resurrecting Savior. The law says it's, for the, it's to shut the mouth of those who have boasted in their own righteousness. The law is supposed to kill you. And what Jesus did is he preached. The Bible says in Galatians, Jesus Christ was born under the law to redeem those under the law. Jesus was a Jew preaching to Jews who had received the law. Law's meant to do its job, make you realize you can't save yourself and everybody in here is violent. And you know the cool thing about law is it says if you violated one of the commandments, you're guilty of violating all of them. And there are like 540 commandments, not just 10. Okay? And people today run around, this always get, anyway, just have to get mad, I guess. Trying to help you see the 3D image, man. And they're, you know, listen, I totally am for the morality that is taught or spoken of in the New Testament, I mean, in, in the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments. But I'm not going to stick that in my yard. And I'm not going to stick it anywhere. And I'm not going to help you pay money to get it put somewhere. Because that kills folks. If you think that you can run down that list of ten and obey them and then you go usher and slide into heaven, then you've missed the point of it. God told them to put the law inside the Ark of the Covenant and seal it with a mercy seat and never look at it. And people would crack that lid and 3,000 people died one day just for looking at it. And what we've done is we've reached in and got the law and pulled it out and just tried to shove out on everybody. And there ain't a church or person, a pastor or a saint or a Christian or a pope or a priest or nobody anywhere on this planet, nobody has ever kept the Ten Commandments. Nobody. Every human has broken the Ten Commandments. You're sitting there trying to, you're running down a list right now in your head trying to figure. If you've ever mowed your yards on Saturday or Friday night to Saturday night, you have broken the Ten Commandments. The only one of the ten that God says, remember this one and don't break it, which is to keep the Sabbath holy. And the Sabbath ain't got nothing to do with Sunday. The Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night and ends on sundown on Saturday night. So if you've ever picked a flower, mowed a yard, throwed out some straw, went to the store, bought a product, done anything like that, you have violated the Sabbath. One time in the Old Testament when they were under the law, they came and reported that on the Sabbath a man was gathering sticks to build a fire. And they come and told Moses. Moses said, they said, Moses, what shall we do with this man? He said, Kill him, execute him. That's in your Bible. That's law living. Anybody want to sign up for that? I didn't think so. I'm, I'm for grace. The Paul, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is holy. The law is perfect. The law is righteous. The law is given by God. Paul even said the law is beneficial if one uses the law properly. How do you use it properly? To let you and I know that you ain't kept none of these regulations. This is God's standard. You have violated. You cannot save yourself. You are guilty of all. You need someone to save you. His name is Jesus, and he's done it all for you. All you got to do is believe in it. That's called grace. Amen? Now, now listen. The law 
just like the, 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 the New Testament does not begin. So in other words, when you're reading the words of Jesus, and then you read the words of the Apostle Paul, let me clear this up now. In your New Testament, if you consider the New Testament start Matthew 1 and 1, which most Christians do, you're going to get real confused. Listen, because the Apostle Paul and Jesus preach contradictory messages. They don't agree. This is what Jesus said in red. If you do not forgive your brother his trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. Is that, anybody besides me know that's in red and it's in your Bible? All right, now who said that? Jesus said it. Did he lie? Was it true? Was it true when he said it? Now, you understand that God didn't say, Holy Spirit, let's put these words in red. That was a man thought of a way to market the Bible. And let's put all of Jesus' words in red, which in some instances they didn't get them all in red. And just because it's in red don't mean it's more powerful than the words in black. Because the Bible is written by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? But Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother their trespasses, neither will the Heavenly Father forgive you. So you'll get preachers and people that are ignorant and go up to somebody and say, well, you got all in your heart against somebody. If you don't give them a heart and you die, you're going straight to hell. Now, I'm not for unforgiveness. But the Apostle Paul said, yeah, forgive people, even as for Christ's sake has forgiven you, he's forgiven you. So Paul says that you are already forgiven, therefore extend that forgiveness to your brother. Paul never said anything like what Jesus said. Are they contradictory? Yeah, because there's a big line that happens called the cross, death, burial, resurrection, that changed everything. Jesus, remember, is preaching law. That was under the law. But once resurrection comes, you're already forgiven. I'm going to get to that in a second. The way y'all shout now, y'all going to really shout when I get to that part. So the old covenant does not begin in Genesis chapter 1. God's always been a grace God. So from Genesis chapter 1 until we get to the law being given to Moses, God's servant on Mount Sinai. And by the way, when the law first made its entrance into humanity, 3,000 people died that day as they worshiped the false golden cow. Right? But when grace came on Pentecost on that same feast of weeks, 3,000 got saved. On that day when grace came. Big difference. Big difference. Because the judgment and the wrath and all that had been poured out upon his son, not upon the people. Now see, the law was given to Moses, the servant, and he was Israel's, if you will, representative. He represented Israel before God. And when God wanted to communicate with Israel, he communicated with Moses, and Moses told him what God said. Is that right? So we don't get, the, the old covenant does not begin until the law is given on Mount Sinai. So that's why Abraham, Abram, was not under the law. That's why Abraham could lie and God never even rebuked him for it. That's why he could try to pimp his wife out to save his own hide. See, if you knew the Bible, you could say amen when I said stuff like that because you know it's in there. He would tell this old king to let her go into the harem. Let's tell a lie, baby girl. Say, you my sister, you not my wife. Because this dude liable to kill me, so you go sleep with him so I'll be healthy. Is that in the Bible or not? And not only did he do it once, he did it twice. 
That's why when his son Abraham came along, you got Abraham and then you got Isaac. Isaac told the same lie by his wife because he learned to lie by watching his daddy. And then by the time Isaac has a son named Jacob, his whole life is a lie and he's a deceiver. And he lies about everything because this sin thing keeps getting worse with each generation. Don't get better on its own. But God never rebuked them. That's why when Sarah comes and said, Abraham, you, you, you know, I'm too old to have a kid with you. Let's try to help God fulfill the prophecy. Here's my handmaiden, you know, this Egyptian woman, Hagar, won't you go in and have sexual relations with her? Abraham said, okay. <laughs> I got to be careful right there. That sounds just like, a, some of these women think that sounds just like a man, right? Okay, baby, I'll do it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> God never rebuked him. God never said boo about all their sinning. You know why? Because grace does not keep a record of your sin or your wrongdoings. Now, once that law hit, different ball game now. Now God's relating to them based on the covenant of the law. And the law is only weakened by their inability to, to maintain that law. Paul said because the law was weak because of humanity and what it could it could because man couldn't keep the rules. And, and, and God's wrath was poured out because they're the ones that entered into the covenant and said, we'll keep this law. Israel was under grace, but they wanted a law. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to have a king and they wanted to have rules and regulations. And God, they were born under grace. And so God's always been a grace God. He's always been a grace God. And, and, and so you've got to keep that in mind when you're reading the Old Covenant or you'll get confused. Well, Abraham's doing this and doing that. And he should have, you know, and, 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 and God didn't even say boo to them. No, because the law hadn't came yet. We didn't get the law until, until Moses came, right? And, and so m most Christians... Most people have what I call a blind spot when it comes to forgiveness. So when people say, you know, well, what's the difference, man? What's the difference? Uh, Jesus prophesied at the Last Supper that, that there was, there was going to be a new covenant that would come and that he would shed his blood and, and their sins would not be remembered anymore. Uh, and so I want to ask you a question because um, I get asked this a lot. I get I get ask this a lot. People struggle over forgiveness, man. Now, this was a big revelation for me when I got a hold of the grace. But people are, am I really forgiven? Am I forgiven all the time? Do, you know, what, what if I sin and don't remember it and don't confess it and I die? Will I go to hell? Or, you know, what, I mean, you know, what if I, what if I backslide? What if this? What if that? And, 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 and we just cannot get it into our heads that God might uh, has, you know, God might forgive us without any action on our part. That, that it, you know, it just sounds too, big, too good to be true. I mean, what are you trying to tell me, Brother Dale? Are you trying to tell me that God's good or something? Are you trying to tell me that the good news is really good news? What you pulling here? <laughs> Listen, if you're uncertain, I mean, if you've if you got just a little tink in the armor, if you're uncertain about whether you're forgiven or not of sin, if you're unsure, then I'm going to promise you this. Your faith is weak. And, and you, you don't have any confidence in your prayers and standing before God or your relationship with him.
because you think God's angry with you. You think God's holding a record against you. You think when you come to God, all he sees is your sin. And, 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 that, and that hinders your, your ability to receive what grace is freely provided through faith. And so I want to try to demolish that uncertainty because I want to ask you a real bold question. Now listen to me. This is a real bold question. I want to ask you this. I understand people are struggling as Christians, but are sinners forgiven? Are sinners forgiven? In other words, a sinner that's never said boo and said God's name, read a Bible, but are they walking around on this planet today forgiven? Just Yeah, just think about it. Are they forgiven? Now, you, you would have to agree with this, right? That if God has forgiven sinners, then surely he has forgiven Christians, right? And, and you, the, the fact is this, you and I are forgiven whether you believe it or not. Now, it won't do you any good to be forgiven unless you receive it by faith. Now, I, I want you to see from the scriptures that the Bible shows us and says that sinners are forgiven. Now, I want to just name four Old Testament powerful prophets. The first one is being David. David had a revelation of God that hardly no one else ever did. He's the only one that got a revelation of the, the, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And that's just too long to tell, but he, he's, the, he's one of the only ones that got that. David said in Psalm 103 and 12, he said, This is as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. That's what David said. David got a revelation of that. And now we've got to remember, David's living under the law. And so when David sinned with Bathsheba, everybody knew about it. It was a public sin by a public official and the king of Israel, and they all knew it. It eventually came out. And, and when David uh, did that sin, according to the law, David had her husband executed, murdered uh, by his own hand, by his own order. So David should have been executed for the murder of Bathsheba's husband. And also by the adultery. You understand under the law, if you committed adultery, they stoned you to death. Adultery was a capital offense. That's why I remember the woman in John 8 that was caught in the very bed of adultery. They drug her out of the bed, throwed her at the feet of Jesus, stood there with the stones in hand, ready to stone her, and, and throwed her and said, Jesus, this woman's caught in the act of adultery. Moses said we should stone her. What say ye? And the Bible said that Jesus stooped down. Now, the Bible said he was in the temple. He was in the temple. Everybody say that he was in the temple. Everybody say there's no dirt floors in the temple. So any preacher that ever preached and said he was writing in the dirt, don't know what they're talking about. You ain't got to say that part. <laughs> Jesus stooped down. He's in the temple, which has marble floors. And he took his finger and he was moving his finger on marble, which is stone floors. And he stood back up and said, what I say is you that without sin throw the first stone. And then the Bible tells us that beginning from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they left. Because see, when you live long as I have, you realize ain't nobody perfect and y'all got a skeletons in your closet and you got a bunch of mistakes. And, and, but when you're young and standing there in 20, you're ready to knock somebody's side of the head. Well, you know, straighten this out. You're just white or black. I mean, let's, let's execute them. You just ain't live long enough, dude. Get a few more years under you. We'll get to see your screw-ups. We don't want to, but you just, you're, you will. Welcome to earth. Jesus stooped down again and took his finger 
on stone. You know, when them Jews saw Jesus with his finger on the stone, every one of them Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Who was the last time that the Bible said took his finger and wrote on the stone? God said, it ain't about just that one adultery. He said, every one of y'all, finger on the stone. They dropped them rocks and they rolled, baby. They got out there. Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, I have none, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. He did say, go and sin no more. But only after he gave her the free gift of no condemnation. What the church says, go and sin no more and we won't condemn you. But Jesus says, we don't condemn you. Now live out of that grace and have power over that sin. And don't go and live like that girl no more. God's got better for you. God's got greater for you than that. Woo! Man, I'm feeling this. See, that's what we need is grace and that gift. That's the power over sin. Grace is a license to sin. What a stupid, ignorant statement. That would be like saying, God said, I'm sending you the medicine for your cure, but it's going to kill you. Grace is the antidote to sin. It's the remedy. It's the answer. God didn't send something that didn't work, wouldn't work, can't work. And so David knew he should be executed, but in Psalm 51, David said, I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me. Psalm 51 and 3. But, but David cried out and he said, Lord, have, have mercy upon me and, and, and blot out my transgressions. David knew you can't get that done under the law. But David had a revelation of a God of grace. And he began to try to reach into the future to pull that grace into his present. Amen. The prophet Isaiah said the same thing in Isaiah 43 and 25. And he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. That's what Isaiah said. Isaiah chapters 42, 43, 44, and 45. Those four chapters is nothing but a prophetic advertisement for the new covenant that's on the way. Who is so good. And in, in, in Isaiah 42, the prophet Isaiah starts prophesying about there's a new thing coming. There's a new thing coming. It's going to be greater than anything. If you would even hear about it, your ears would tingle and you wouldn't believe it. Good news. There's a new thing coming. And he been he getting talk about, it. And, and then he said, I'm going to blot out your transgression and I'm going to remember your sins no more. What an amazing new thing God brought us. The old covenant sins were recorded and they, remem they were remembered and they were judged. But under the new covenant, they would be blotted out and held against you no more. Amen. Isaiah wasn't the only one. Now you got David, Isaiah. Jeremiah prophesied about it too in Jeremiah 31. Verses 33 and 34. This is what Jeremiah said God says. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. You ever had preachers tell you that God's angry? He's angry about the sin of homosexuality. He's angry about the sin of lesbianism. He's angry about the sin of this. He's angry about the sin. And that's why he's judging people and he sent Katrina to wipe out New Orleans because they got strip clubs. You ever heard any of that kind of stuff? All lies. All lies. All of a sudden, God just go. All of a sudden, now God getting angry. Waited to two thousand and whatever to get angry. God's about to judge. God ain't about to do nothing. God done been about it, about it, and did it on the cross. <laughs> God's about to judge America. 
God doesn't judge the whole world for their sin, including America. And they tell you God's angry. Brother, I tell you the Lord's angry. <laughs> no, you angry. You need to get some coffee and calm down. You angry. Isaiah 54, 54 chapter, says there's a new covenant coming, prophet prophesied. And he said, it's a, it, hey, listen, he said it's such a big deal. It's, it's like the waters of Noah to me. God made a covenant with Noah. He said, listen here, bro, I will never cover and judge this earth with water and wrath and water again, ever. Never. He said, now this is coming just like that. Put it up there at that level. It's like the waters of Noah to me, and, and when this new covenant comes, I swear to you that I will never be angry with you again, nor shall I ever remove thy kindness from thee. So anybody that tries to make you believe that now God's angry is a liar. Does God like people sinning? No. Does it grieve God's heart? Yes. Does it grieve and hurt and wound him? Yes. But God is not judging them or keeping a record of their sins. So that way you have to toss out, well, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. The Holy Spirit didn't convict you. That's your own conscience convicting you. How the Holy Spirit going to convict you of something he don't even remember? The Holy Spirit is God. God said, I'll remember your sins no more. It ain't like the Holy Spirit said, well, I know, God, you ain't going to remember, but I'll remind you. A schizo, man. You got you to stop all this religious stuff. Stop believing all these lies. Jesus didn't die just for confessed and repented sins. Jesus died for the sins of the world is what the Bible said. John 1 and 29 the uh, last prophet, John the Baptist, pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the what? The world. Okay, so if, if Jesus took away uh, the sin of the world, did that include sinners' sins? So that means sinners are forgiven then, right? So that means you struggling as a Christian, you're forgiven also. You're welcome. Whose sin did Jesus take away? The sin of the world. So... All this, it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. God don't, he don't count them against you. Now let me tell you something, I always have to do this right here because this is my little addendum because people make wrong assumptions. See, that's why if you read the Bible, New Testament, Paul was always having to defend his message of grace. And when a preacher today in 2020 preaches like Paul preached in the, in the gospel and doctrine that Paul preached, I'll have to do the same thing he did. I'll have to defend my position. But if you, I've told you this before, but if you go down to the bank, all of a sudden you're short of money, and you go down there and take a Glock 40 and stick it across the counter and say, I'll give me that bag of money back there, and you hold up the bank, you most likely going to get caught by the popo. And they're going to cuff you and throw you in the back of the car and, and, and you're going to get booked and charged. And, but let me tell you something. And you can go to jail and say, I got saved because I robbed the bank and the Lord spoke to me. And you can make religion out of all that. But God's not judging you. The reason you got locked up, dude, is because there's consequences to doing wrong things. God ain't punishing you. Well, the Lord's trying to teach me. No, I ain't trying to teach you nothing. 
God gave you the Holy Spirit as your teacher, leading guide you into truth that'll make you free. But you're suffering though. So when you and I today do sin, which brings death, there's consequences, and it's not pleasant, right? And you, okay, moving right along. I got to end it with this. Let me say this right here. Forgiveness, so listen to me. This is an amazing thing, and this is a big revelation to me because I didn't know it. I thought that they weren't nobody forgiven until they went to God and asked them. God said, I removed the sin of the world when Jesus shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Last time Jesus shed his blood was 2,000 years ago on the cross. And what is it that causes God to forgive? Shedding of blood. When's the last time God shed his blood? On the cross. God forgave the world of sin at that moment. Now, everybody is forgiven. Therefore, God's not angry with them. That's why it's called good news. So people just running up down the road, never been to church, never read the Bible, and even hate God, God's not mad with them. So that's not like a Christian cliche. The Lord's not angry. God's not mad with them. God wants somebody like his ambassadors to represent him and tell them the good news that God has forgiven you of your sin and all you need to do is put your faith in his son Jesus and enjoy the benefits of that forgiveness and be born again of the spirit. Now about right here I get accused of being you know, an inclusionist or somebody that says everybody's going to heaven. I ain't saying that. Everybody ain't going to heaven. Forgiveness does not equal salvation. So Though everyone's forgiven, the Bible, the Bible is a, there, there is no ambivalence in Scripture about how a person is born again. You're not, you know, there are a lot of people, and it's, that's becoming even more popular, that says everybody's going to heaven, everybody's saved. Some even include the devil and his demons. You know, but it's just not true. It's just simply not true. Yes, Jesus paid for the, the sin of the world, but forgiveness does not equal salvation, and the Bible is clear. It, in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth, if, everybody say if, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But you've got to do that. For with the heart one believes unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture has said, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. All right? For there is no distinction between a Jew or a Greek. In other words, God said, I'll save either one of you just fast. I'll save a Jew fast. I will agree. For the same Lord is rich to all who call upon him. For listen to this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you don't call on the name of the Lord, you shall not be saved. But you got to call on the name of the Lord. How shall they call without a preacher? And how shall they preach lest he be sent? And how shall they call on whom they have not heard? This chapter goes on to say. Now, if everybody's saved and going to heaven anyway, then I need to drop the mic and stop all the pressure that comes with this jobby job. And that means my whole life and ministry of 35 years of preaching the gospel has been a total farce and a waste of energy, time, and resources. How dare you tell people going to heaven without me preaching the gospel? <laughs> We all to preach the gospel. That's one that people hear and they believe and then they confess and they put their confidence and faith in that person, Jesus, and they are immediately born again. And they are translated from death unto life. Bible says in John 1 and 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They will be people that will not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To as many as received him. Not to everybody that's on the earth, but to as many as received him. Not everybody's going to receive him. But if you receive him, you get the legal right to be a child of God. God will call you son, daughter.
enter into the joys of the Lord forever. He will save you eternally, and he will give you eternal life. Eternal life does not have an ending, right? Thanks, Jennifer. Anybody outside Jennifer knows it? See, y'all don't think I, I, I see everything from the back to the front, and when I'm preaching, everything, Holy Ghost got me, I'm lit up. You know what I'm saying? I said eternal life does not have an ending. Everlasting life does not have an ending. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe upon him should not perish but have life everlasting. Jesus didn't come so you could be forgiven. He came to give you life because dead men don't need forgiveness. Dead men need life. Adam and Eve died in the garden that day. They didn't need forgiveness. They needed life. God didn't come in and say, I forgive you. God said, life is what you need. Because now, God didn't say if you eat of the tree of the good and evil, I'll kill you. That's how a lot of Christians read that. In the day you eat of it, I'll just kill you. I'll go gangsta on you. God said the day you choose this instead of me, knowledge, good and evil, good people go, bad people don't, you choose that, you've been deceived and believed a lie, and that day you die. You die when you believe that lie. I won't kill you. I'm here to save you. Adam and Eve sinned. God too holy to even look at sin. That's not in the Bible. It's in churches, in religion. God can't even look, God's so holy, can't even look at sin. That's a lie. That's like a, far, a, cow, a cattleman says, oh, I got cows, but I can't even look at poop. It comes with the cows. God knows humanity and their weakness. God looks at sin when he looks at you and me. God's not scared of sin. God's conquered sin. You throw it in death, hell, and the grave, would it? Adam and Eve sinned. God used to come every day in the cool of the evening. When Adam and Eve sinned, he never came back. Is that what it says? No, that ain't what it says, is it? When they sinned, he came right back on time. Am I Adam? Where are you, son? Where are you, son? Look at yourself, man. Look at you. Hiding in the bushes. Stand up while I can see you. What you wearing, dude? I, me and Eve, we sewed some fig leaves together. <laughs> we trying to we trying to meet and make ourselves presentable to you. You know, we're trying to use religion. We're trying to work out our own thing here, and we got some fig leaves. So you like us now? You know that stuff's going to dry up and blow away, right? <laughs> you understand your nakedness is going to be seen because that don't fix nothing, bro. That's what religion does. That's how stupid religion is. Do this, say this. Walk like this, you can save yourself. It's all lies. God said, man, let me take care of y'all. And an animal shed blood, and he clothed them. He said, a day comes that there'll be a lamb that'll shed his blood, and I'll clothe you with that lamb's righteousness. When your hair is standing on the end right, right there, that's the Holy Ghost saying that's the truth, what I just said. That's how much God loves you. That's what grace means. That's what Jesus paid for. And he did that on the cross. And he gifted it to you and I. 
if you but believe in him and put your faith in him and stop trying to save yourself. You don't have to impress God. I got somebody who impresses God on my behalf and his name's Jesus. And God's already impressed with Jesus, so he put me in Jesus. And you walk under the grace of God for the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly things. And it gives us the power to actually overcome what we've been trying to overcome with the law that never could. The law could point you to the promised land, Moses, but it could not lead you into it. The law could say that's what you need and that's the land you're trying to get to, but I can't carry you in. Moses said, I got to die here. Laws, I can't get you in there. But I got one whose name is Joshua, Joshua. Joshua in Hebrew is the same name of Jesus in the New Testament. So who does it take to lead you into the promises of God? It takes Jesus. It takes Joshua. Hamashiach. It takes Joshua. It takes Jesus. When you're dead from 4,000 years of the law, and the law has killed you and your name is Lazarus, and you have, the law has buried you in a tomb. And you are stinking and rotten and decaying because of sin. Jesus will stand there. He'll say, remove you the stone. What was the deal to get Lazarus saved? Get that stone out of the way. Get that law out of the way. And when they got that stone and the law out of the way, after 4,000 years, how long, had, how long had he been dead in the grave? Four days, a day with the Lord's a thousand years. And so Israel had 4,000 years approximately of the law. God said, remove ye the stone. Stop looking at the stone to save you. Stop looking at the law to save you. They removed the stone. Then Jesus with a loud voice said, Lazarus, come to me. Lazarus come, he had been wrapped in mummy clothes. And he come walking to Jesus, grave napkin in his mouth. Jesus said, loose him. Let him go. What did grave clothes represent? That's man's fig leaves again. That's man's attempt to preserve and save what's dead and decaying. He says, get that mess off of him. Get that grave napkin out of his mouth. And the Bible says it's so weird, some of the stuff. It says that they would come and because Lazarus, they had heard Jesus had raised him from the dead. And it said many sought to kill Lazarus. Oh, he didn't that. Lazarus like... I've already been dead one time and resurrected. And now you're threatening me with death. He said, many sought to kill Lazarus. He's like, been there, done that, got a t-shirt. I've already been there. Four days I was there. Y'all was at my funeral. Y'all know I was there. Jesus raised him from the dead. That's the demonstration of the power of grace. You know what grace does? It calls you personally. It calls you by your name. It calls you out of death. It calls you into life. It causes you out of religion. And it causes you into relationship. It calls you out of just doctrine and rules and regulations into Jesus to himself. You're coming to him. You remember when God called Noah and his family into the ark? God, listen, God never said, Noah, y'all get in that ark. The Bible says that God said, come into the ark, son. Come into the ark. The ark had three floors. Don't believe the pictures. Only one window at the top. Only one door in the side. Noah walked in. In that boat, eight 
souls in total, seven family members, and the Lord sealed him in with pitch. With tar, it's like a tar almost kind of a deal. And he sealed him in. And the rains came and the floodwaters came. But let me tell you something. No, and the floodwaters were judgment. No judgment waters ever touched Noah and his family who was in the ark. The ark is a type of Jesus. In that ark is no steering wheel. There's no sails. There's no rudder. There's no place for the captain to be because you ain't the captain. You're not driving the boat. You're just in the boat. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Judgment waters are all around you, but they can't touch you because you're in Jesus. Three floors, the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're ever going to look out, you won't look out on judgment waters. You'll go and open that one window at the top, and all you can see is the heaven. I will look into the hills of Zion, from which cometh my help, for my help cometh from the Lord. You will look up to the Lord. You will look up to him. He's the God of your salvation. Now, I don't know if you've ever been locked up close in a tight place like that with your family members for very long. This ain't no fairy tale. He was on that boat for over a year. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, but he was on that boat for over a year. Read your Bible. You don't think they got mad one another in there? Somebody got to dip stuff, throw... Do, I mean, there's a lot going on in there. You don't think Noah cussed a little few times? First thing he did when he got out of that boat, he got drunk. <laughs> now, see, y'all don't like the Bible around here. I know you don't like the Bible. So you don't like that. All I'm saying, is it in the Bible or not? Say amen to my preaching then. Like, Man, I've been on there for over a year. I'm finna plant me a vine here, and I got to have some wine. These people have been getting on my last nerve. <laughs> you don't know that preacher? Yeah, I do too. Listen, Noah may have fell down in the boat, but he didn't fall out of the boat. You may have fallen. You may have made some mistakes. You may have lost your temper, found it, and put it on display. You may have done a lot of things, but see, you're, if you're ever in the boat, you're in the boat. You can't fall out of the boat. You're not going to fall back out there in judgment waters because why? God put you in Christ and God sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Just like he sealed Noah and his family. God sealed you and protected you from the, from the wrath and the waters of judgment. Man, that should make you so happy. You're in Jesus. Man, I'm in Jesus. I'm in Christ. I'm not advocating to act up in the boat. You're in Christ. Enjoy the, you're just floating. You, you're You're safe. You're safe. You're saved. You're saved. You're saved. Last statement, I'm out of here. Eternal life has no ending, right? Everlasting life has no ending. Listen, it has no beginning either. It has no beginning. So whose life do you have if you're born again? Whose life did God gift you with when you were born again? Who's the only one's life who has no beginning and no ending? Pop, oh, come on, help me, people. This is God, Jesus. Jesus is the everlasting, the Alpha, the Omega. He, he, he's the everlasting. He has no beginning and no ending. That's what he gave you when you got born again. Everlasting life, eternal life. Life. Whose life did he give you? His own.
give you my life. You have the life of God. The Ruach of God is in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelleth in you. The life of God. That's why you will never die. Your body may fail off and get a new glorified body, but you will never die. He that believeth in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, has everlasting life and shall never die. Never die. You can't kill us. can't stop us. If you bear us, we come out. Resurrection life, eternal life, everlasting life is in you. That's the difference grace makes. That's the difference grace makes. I didn't know I was forgiven. I thought I had to do something to get God to forgive me. I had to do stuff to make God like me today. Maybe I'll have a good day. Maybe I'll be a good boy today. and God will answer my prayers. None of that no more. And now I want to live out of that revelation of his righteousness and his goodness and his gifts. And so now I live better now on accident than I ever did on purpose. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? When I was trying to, you know, be the good, you know. I want to display the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the kingdom of God, the heart of God, the compassion of God, the love of God that he has for people. I want to display that. I want to be a good reflection of that. I'm not always that. I'm amazed at my ability to still screw up. But I'm amazed at his ability to treat me the same every day, no matter. So when I'm walking around, I feel like the Apostle Paul, God's grace is flooding to me. And when I feel like the biggest heathen in the world, God's grace is still flowing at the same rate to me. God's love is still there. That's what changes us. Amen. Stand with me. Do you, do you love the Lord? Give him praise, would you? Amen. Love you guys. Man, good crowd today. God bless you for coming back to your house of God. Encourages me. I love you and I appreciate you. And uh, man, if you're here and you're listening by Facebook, whatever, however you get this message throughout the week, next week, and you hadn't put your faith and confidence and trust in Christ Jesus, please do that. You do it just by believing him. It's not magic. Kumbaya, say a prayer, you know, abracadabra. It's just trusting that Jesus is the one that's paid the price for your salvation. He's already forgiven you, so you don't have that hurdle to jump over. Nowhere in the Bible did any sinner ever ask the Lord to forgive them to get saved in the New Testament. The jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, bow your head and confess your sins. Why didn't he do that? Because he already knew that that sinner was forgiven. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved and your household. Believe on the Lord. That's all God's ever wanted you to do. Just believe on him. Just believe on him. God don't need your permission to forgive you. He already has too late. He's already forgiven you, and he's not mad with you. All he's wanting you to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Put your confidence in him, and you're saved when you do that. And when you're saved, you don't flip and flop outside the boat. You're in the boat. God seals you with his blood. You're in. You're in. You're safe. You've been gifted eternal life. God, don't take it back. If he, if, if, if he could ever take it away from you after giving it to you, it's not eternal. It's temporary. He didn't give you temporary life. He gave you eternal and everlasting.
that should make you walk different. Amen? No one saying no more. Love you.